The time has finally come. Get ready to open Upper Deck Series 1 and elevate your trading card collection with young gun rookies like Brock Faber, Luke Hughes, Marco Casper, and Matthew Nyes, just to name a few. Be on the lookout for a new one-of-one -one base set parallel called Outburst Gold. Don't walk, run to your local hobby shop, or get it from UpperDeckStore.com today. Welcome to the Hockey News pregame show brought to you by Upper Deck and BetMGM. I am Ryan Kennedy. That is Michael Trakos. And Mike, everything is happening right now, as Bob Cole would say. <laughs> Let's start off with the biggest news of the day. Patrick Kane signs with the Detroit Red Wings. One year, $2.75 million. Your initial thoughts on Kaner in Motown. I know we talked about this on a previous podcast, but I'm surprised. I don't know about you. Are you, are you surprised that Detroit was the, that we ended up as Detroit as the winner? A little bit because what he's good at, they don't necessarily need right now. Like they're a pretty good offensive team already. He yep. can help the power play. But my initial thought was it's more psychological than, than anything. How so? For the Red Wings, it's Iserman saying, I believe in this group. I'm giving you a new weapon to play with. Somebody that Alex Dabrinkit obviously has great success and familiarity with. Totally. But also some of the other teams that were in the running, Boston, Florida, even Toronto, all in the same division. So not only are you getting Patrick Kane, but you are keeping Patrick Kane from a team or teams that you're probably going to have to battle for a playoff spot. Yeah, initially I thought, you know, Detroit is not that team that is a Patrick Kane away from winning a Stanley Cup. Mm. But you look at them in the standings right now. Um, this is a team that surged at the beginning and really hasn't gone anywhere since then. They're still a top three team in, the, in an Atlantic division that is very crowded with, you know, Boston, Tampa, Florida, Toronto. Mm. So, you know, this is, you're right, this is Eiserman saying, um, I believe in this group. I believe this is a Stanley Cup contender. Um, and this is definitely a playoff team. The question is for me is what is Patrick Kane getting out of this? Mm. And I think it's probably multifaceted. A, he's a guy who wanted to stay relatively close, I guess, to family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's from Western New York. Detroit's close. He's got that familiarity, you said, with Alex DePrinkett. I wonder how much the Eiserman factor factored into this as well. Mm. Is he enough of a draw where, or maybe the, the Red Wings is a factor as well. Like, Playing for an original six team, he's already done that with the Blackhawks. Did he and the Rangers. It? Yeah, so maybe there's something there. But yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I thought we'd see him in Boston. I yeah. thought we'd see him maybe back in New York. I thought Toronto. Those are three teams that I think a lot of us saying, okay, that's a Patrick Kane away from being a Stanley Cup team. Yeah, I wonder too if you know because he's still rehabbing his hip. I wonder if he wants to prove to the NHL that he can still contribute at a mm. high level. And, you know, we know he, you're not going to get any defense out of Patrick Kane, so he has to be producing. I wonder if he, you know, because it sounds like he just, he loves playing. He wants to continue to play. I wonder if part of this, and the reason it was a one-year deal, is him saying, I have to show that I'm still Patrick Kane. I might not be a 100-point guy, yeah. but maybe I can be a, you know, pro-rated 70-point guy. Again, I can help on the power play. When it comes to, you know, when it's clutch time and you need a goal, I still want to be that guy that can either score it or set it up. And then maybe he's looking ahead to next year. Is that in Detroit? Is it somewhere else? 
who's to say? Yeah. But I'll end off saying, pointing this out, you know, you talk about Iserman and, you know, believing in this group. I, I also think that the Red Wings, it's been a long time since they've been in the playoffs. Yeah. They kind of they kind of have to make it this year. Like, I think this is kind of a make or break year. And when you have the success they had early on and the fact that Dabrinkit has been such a great fit on that top line with Larkin, this is that sort of insurance where it's like, okay, well, let's not leave it to chance. Like, if we can get Patrick Kane, if he can even get our power play from just being middle of the road to above average, that's a couple more goals. Maybe that's a couple more points in the standings. They know it's going to be tight. And maybe that'll be the difference to push them over the line. 21 goals, 67 points last year. So the guy can still do it, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I know he's 35, but... Hey, he's younger than we are, right? Um, <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum, more news. The Minnesota Wild, uh, they've had a tough go of it the past 10 games in particular. They fired Dean Evison and assistant coach Bob Woods, who was in charge of the defense. Mm-hmm. They hired John Hines. Was this the right move? And do the Wild have any hope at this point? Yeah, right move. It's it's an odd one. You hear all the stories coming out of Minnesota about Dean Evanson and much beloved. Um, every year he's been there. This has been a playoff team. I know the first year that he was there, they lost in the qualifying uh, round bubble. tournament. Yeah, the bubble, which whether is that a playoff team or not a playoff team? I don't know. Um, but it is an odd decision because their problems go well beyond coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, salary cap. Hell is yes. how I describe the Minnesota Wild right now until some of those contracts come off the books. So, you know, this is very much similar to, I wouldn't say Edmonton. I would say this is closer to like a New York Islanders team that just, I don't know where the Minnesota Wild are right now. Mm-hmm. They're not terrible where they're going to be bottom three, but they're definitely not a Stanley Cup contender. Mm. Getting rid of Evison, I don't think changes anything. Yeah, it almost feels like... Like, Bill Guerin's hands are so tied as GM mm-hmm. that, and you mentioned, you know, like the Ryan Suter and Zach Prize buyouts, those are more than $7 million this year. They're more than $7 million next year. After that, it drops off to about 800000 which is certainly manageable. Yep. But you got to get through that. And I know they've, they've got some guys that they extended where, you know, some get... Bit of a raise. Some actually, I, I think, uh, you know, one of them actually gets, Matt Zuccarello actually gets less expensive next okay. year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but they have a lot of long-term contracts. And almost every prominent player on Minnesota has some form of a no-move, no-trade clause. So if you're Bill Guerin, you see your team sputtering, you know, They've had some meetings. I know Garen was very pointed, you know, talking to them recently, and it still hasn't moved the needle. So what else can he do? And I agree. It's like it's, it's not Dean Evison's fault. I think, no. you know, the players like him. They wanted to play for him. But what else do you do? Because you, unless, like, you trade Joel Erickson-Eck, and I don't even know what the market would be for him. You know, he's on a long-term deal as well. I don't know what you do uh, other than sort of sit back and say like, yeah, we're probably going to be, you know, somewhere in that 20 to 28th in the standings range this year and maybe next year as well. They don't have a ton of talent coming up yet. 
They could certainly, in my mind, use another high-end draft pick. Uh, but even, you know, even Matt Boldy is struggling right now. Even Kirill Kaprizov is struggling right now. Yeah. So it, it's a pretty tough situation in Minnesota. I don't, I don't really see what the up, like where, where the ceiling is. The ceiling is just waiting. And just waiting and hoping that, you know, when this team, like you said, um, gets rid of those um, just really kind of anchors of contracts, yeah. when they come off the books, question is, like, I think Kaprizov, he's got, like, three more years. The concern for me is, once those contracts come off the books, does Kaprizov say, you know what, I want to get out of Minnesota because mm. it's been another three years where I'm nowhere closer to winning a Stanley Cup? Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at the timeline, 2025-26 is the season where the buyouts are basically off the books. Less than a million each, so, you know, you can deal with that, especially with the cap going up. Kaprizov will still be under contract for that year, but he'll be a UFA that summer. So that's the, that's the crucial year where Minnesota has to, like, put together a roster that can really support him and, to your point, prove that, that's a destination he wants to stay in. And the other thing that we don't really talk about is Minnesota as a hockey town. Like mm-hmm. that, that is not a place where, you know, losing, you kind of just ignore it. Mm-hmm. Like they care about, obviously, hockey. They care oh, about yeah. high school hockey. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if the Minnesota Wild cannot just sleepwalk their way for the next couple of years without, right. you know, fans really kind of being like, hey, this is not what I signed up for. Well, the other thing, too, you mentioned high school, which is big throughout the state, but also the Minnesota Golden Gophers, mm-hmm. NCAA hockey is huge there, too. Are and they not hosting the Frozen Four? They are hosting the Frozen so. Four, and they are also one of the better teams in the nation and will probably be vying for a spot there. So, and, I mean, they were in the championship game just last year, um, lost in overtime to, to Quinnipiac. You're totally right. That's a market where it's like, if you guys aren't good, we have other hockey to watch, yeah, and might, we will be happy to do so. Yeah, so you might lose a lot of paying customers uh, coming into the rink, and mm-hmm. you know you don't want that, obviously. Yeah. And like I said, this is not a, it's not a city or a market that's just going to be like, okay, yeah, we'll just check back with you in a few years. Like, <laughs> no, they demand that, a, that you have a competitive team, and that's yeah. why, to Dean Evison's credit, year after year after year, this has been a playoff team. Granted, they haven't gone far in the playoffs, but... Yeah. He's at least got him into the dance. There you go. Okay, another team that is scuffling right now and has big coaching questions is the <laughs> Ottawa Senators. Woo. And before we get to DJ Smith's future, let's talk about the havoc that <laughs> happened against Florida last night. I, I kind of feel it was like a half, you know, glass half full, glass half empty thing where it's like, yeah, you got drilled. I think it was 5 nothing. Uh, but you stood up for yourselves, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a lot of rough stuff, uh, a lot of rumbles. At one point, ten different players were <laughs> kicked out of the game, uh, which has to be a first, I would think. You know, everybody on a shift kicked out at the same time. Maybe in the 80s it happened. I'd have to look it up. At one point, Paul Maurice, the f- coach of the Florida Panthers, was walking up and down the bench and counting players right. <laughs> to see how many he actually yeah, had. Yeah, what do we got here? Uh, obviously, very, very beer league-esque. Exactly, yeah. Both Kachuk brothers were definitely involved in it. Um, I know a lot of people were, at least on Twitter, outraged, what a surprise, uh, about Zach McEwen's run at Matthew Kachuk. Mm -hmm. To me, at the risk of sounding unpopular, I didn't see anything wrong with it because, yeah, he definitely charged across the ice, but 
He led with his hands. Like, you could tell he was like, I'm coming after you. I've seen worse to ones. fight you. Like, he wasn't going to, like, drill him from behind. Like, it wasn't, like, his shoulder that he was leading with or anything like that. So, for me, it was like, whatever. Like, fair enough if you hate Matthew Kachuk. I love both Kachuk brothers. I think they're fantastic for the sport. Um, but what would you think of the, the mayhem? Well, here's what I thought, first of all. Uh, if you think that DJ Smith has lost the room or these guys don't care about playing for him, that's exhibit A, where the Ottawa Senators are saying, you know, we're still in the fight. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look that way in the Literally. standings, <laughs> but they haven't quit on their coach. Right. If they had quit on their coach, then I don't think any of that kind of stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're probably just like sleepwalk through the game. Does it matter, though? That's the other question. Fine, you care about your coach. End of the day is you're the worst team in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, it has not looked good, especially for all the offseason moves that Ottawa has made. Uh, yeah. You get a guy like Tarasenko. Um, you still have Giroux from last year. This is a good team on paper. Yeah. A lot of the young guys are at that age right now where they're real big contributors. So something has to give. Unfortunately, I think DJ Smith is probably going to be the next coach that loses his job as early as you know today or tomorrow. I just can't see it lasting any longer. Like we talked about Minnesota and how they have to win for their market. I think with a new owner there in Ottawa, mm-hmm. the expectations have never been as high as they are right now. And for the same reasons why this is a make or break year for Detroit, it's a make or break year for Ottawa. And they really have to pull the, the trigger on a move. I just don't know who you bring in to kind of right that ship. Dean Everson. Dean Everson. <laughs> it's not a bad choice. Yeah. Um, like he's like we talked about, like he's he's a player's coach. Mm-hmm. He's also stern. Yep. Just based on his profile mugshot. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he gets teams in the playoffs. Uh, another option I've heard out there is Claude Julien. I don't know about running the running yeah. it back with Claude. Yeah. Defensive specialist wouldn't hurt. And he's just kind of he's been there. Yeah, and he's he's at that age right now where I, I think he's respected as soon as he walks into the room. Sure. But I just don't know. Is, is it too late? Like, we're past U.S. Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's such a competitive division in the Atlantic. Getting a wild card spot in the East is going to be tough. Yeah, I think it's over for the Senators for this season, uh, which is unfortunate because I thought in the preseason they could be one of those teams in the Atlantic that stepped up and, and went for a playoff spot. Clearly Detroit is that team right now. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I thought Buffalo would be in the mix too. We haven't seen that, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen, especially – you know, with Florida getting past their big injuries and, and still being in the mix, and, you know, Toronto obviously still in the mix but in need of improvement there, it just feels like there's not going to be enough spots there. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's looking like how we thought it was going to be, where the Atlantic is, you know, it's going to be the toughest division, I think, to make the playoffs coming out of. Yeah. get a top three spot at least. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, going out west and talking about playoff jockeying, a uh, bit of movement in the Pacific where the Vancouver Canucks starting to sputter. Uh, I think they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. What's interesting to me is if you look at the fancy stats, which I only dabble in because okay. I am an old, <laughs> uh, their PDO which is like save percentage and shooting percentage, five on five, is the highest in the NHL, which is not good. You want to be like right at one, and I think they're at like 1.3 or something like that. I think JT Miller scores on every other shot. Right, right. So, you know, what what the analytics folks say is, you know, 
there's always a regression to the mean at some point. You know, you can only be hot for so long. So you kind of want to be in that, that middle, that right at that one. You don't want to be too low. You don't want to be too high. Vancouver is obviously very high. And it seems like now they're kind of paying the price for it where all that good fortune early on. And I'm, you know, Thatcher Demko was obviously super hot totally. early on as well. Um, that's starting to come back to you know, the ground. Elias Pettersson, I think he has two points in his past five games. Um, how concerned should Canucks fans be? They're now third in the division behind Vegas and LA. I'm not that concerned about Vancouver, to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. I get you, and I know, I know everyone keeps talking about the PDO and just puck luck, and you know, eventually JT Miller's not gonna score on every other shot he takes. <laughs> right. But I, th- I still think this team is strong enough to survive mm. all that. And even once things kind of come so, back to the mean, uh, I still think this is a really good team. And it's a really good team in a really bad division. Uh, let's face it. Uh, Edmonton has done Vancouver tremendous favors. True. Um, the fact that Edmonton is not a playoff team right now means that it's just an easier road to make the playoffs for Vancouver. Like, basically, you just have to beat out like what Seattle yeah. for a top three spot? Yeah, that, that's easy. That's true. Like they're not going to catch Vegas. I, I think Vegas is still the runaway favorites for the division, and yeah. it's going to be LA and Vancouver. I think jockeying for the number two spot. So you know, I, I really like this Vancouver Canucks team. Mm-hmm. Um, we keep mentioning it. They have a star at every important position, whether it's goal, whether it's defense. I uh, really like how Philip uh, Roenick has looked with uh, Quinn Hughes. Certainly. Um, and JT Miller, if he stops scoring, he does so many other things on the ice where he's going to be a useful part. Yeah, fair enough. No, I actually agree with you. I'm not too worried about Vancouver. I, I do think that I'm, I'm just not quite counting out the Oilers because they have McDavid and Dreisaitl. Well, look at how he's played, too, in the last couple games. Exactly. It's like he's got that, like, you know killer instinct right now yeah and again i was actually on the radio in edmonton this morning and i was saying like i'm at the point where i'm looking at the oilers in three game increments and i did it last week and i was like well if they lose all three they're done well they won one of them so it's like okay well there's still a bit of hope now they got another three where they get vegas edmonton they get vegas tonight edmonton's rested vegas is not they played against calgary last night so it's like, okay, well, that's a, that's a good one to pick up points. If you can mm. beat Vegas and sort of steal a couple, that's great. Then they get Winnipeg, who's been very good, and Carolina, who needs to win. So it's like, okay, well, you've got to win at least two of these three games. Ooh, you're going to say two against those? I feel at this point they need to. Yeah. Right? Like that, but that's where, they, that's where they're at right now, is yeah. they have to win more games than even expected because they got off such, such a bad start. And as you point out... They are chasing Vancouver. When we came into this year, I think expectations for Vancouver were pretty low for most yeah. people. I always looked at them, as you said, you look at them on paper and it's like, this is a good team. This should be a good team. Should be. Rick Tockett, behind the bench, has them playing very well. I feel they're now living up to expectations, at least my expectations, that they should be a playoff team. So yeah, it's going to be a pretty interesting race. And uh, L.A. have won eight of their past ten, points in nine. I actually spoke to Quentin Byfield last night for a magazine story for the next issue of the Hockey News. And I was like, what's going on? Like, (laughs) what is the secret? It's pretty interesting because he was saying, look, we got four lines that we can roll. Yeah. We trust all of our D pairs and our goaltenders are playing amazing right now. 
And to me, that was the big X factor for the Kings coming into the season. They were going with Cam Talbot and Phoenix Copley. Was that going to be enough? Clearly so far, it has worked. And, you know, Byfield even said, he says, I know if I make a mistake, either of those goaltenders will bail us out. Hmm. And the vibes are just very good in L.A. right now. No, you're right. And Quinton Byfield's finally playing like a guy who went, what, number two overall in that draft. Yep. Lafreniere, Alexi Lafreniere in New York, looking like maybe not a number one pick, mm. but definitely not a bust anymore. Right. Um, then you got Tim Stutzel at number three. So that, that draft is finally kind of rounding into form. Mm. I'm with you. Um, they're just, here, here's the thing about LA that I love. They're so deep down the middle. Totally. And it's very rare to find a team that's got a one, one, two, three punch down the middle mm. that doesn't find success. Yeah. Because, you know, if your number one line's not doing it tonight, okay, well, you got the number two line. And if they aren't doing it tonight, well, then you got the number three line. It, it, it's almost like Toronto had that when they had Kadri at number three, Tavares number two, and Matthews number one. And yeah. it, was, it was deadly. Like, it, it was impossible to play matchup against them. And yeah. I think the same things hold true of L.A. And not only do they have that one, two, three punch, but they've got arguably two of the top defensive centers and Philip Daniel and uh, Anze Kopitar. So yeah. it, it's been good. Um, a quiet-ish season from Pierre-Luc Dubois, but it just goes to show like how much depth they have. Like When you look at their forwards, mm-hmm. so many players have four to six goals right now. Um, they're getting contributions from everyone. Like Carl Grundstrom, I'm looking here right now, seven goals. I like Carl Grundstrom. I remember covering him at the World Juniors when he right. was a Leaf pick. But seven goals that have grunged him in the first 19 games. That's better than anyone probably expected. Indeed. And I also feel like Adrian Kempe, like, we don't talk about him enough. Like, he's become really a preeminent goal scorer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, talking to Byfield, they're obviously line mates. And, and, and Byfield was saying, like, you know, I watch how he disguises his shot because he has one of the best shots in the mm. NHL and how he uses his size and speed. And, of course, Kopitar, you know, Byfield learns so much from him both on and off the ice. Um, but, yeah, you make a good point about the centers because – for me, coming into this season, I was looking at L.A. as a team that you didn't want to play in the first round because of all that center depth, especially after they got Dubois. Right. Now it's like, well, you don't want to play them any round because all of those guys can be shut down centers. I mean, Kopitar is a selkie winner. Uh, you know, Dubois has always been a two-way guy. Yeah. And, and again, if he's your third-line center, he could certainly be a bit quiet because you have Kopitar and Deneau ahead of him. Uh, so, yeah, L.A., I mean... If they continue to get good goaltending, they're going to be pretty scary. Is, is Adrian Kempe the new Victor Arvidsson? Where it's like you go, this guy scored 40 goals? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Arvidsson was maybe like a little more surprising because he was like, I think he was passed over his first draft. And then, you know, like as least Kempe, pick. yeah, like Kempe was at least a first rounder. Kempe was like a big guy for those Swedish national teams totally. uh, coming in a junior. Wasn't he like a, I believe he was a Nylander teammate or line mate. Eh, uh, one of those juniors. Very Same impressive. draft, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to the uh, the other coast and another team that's actually the best in the NHL right now, the New York Rangers. Yeah. They blasted Boston. Best points percentage in the NHL. Do we believe in New York? H- huge, huge Rangers fan right now in terms of what that team looks like. What a difference it makes, and, and nothing against Gerard Gallant, but mm. getting Peter Laviolette in um, has really made a huge difference in that team. Like, 
a lot of expectations were on the Rangers last year. They go out early. Um, that should have been a team that I think a lot of us were kind of thinking, okay, Stanley Cup, they've got the goaltender. Mm -hmm. They've got a lot of pieces up front. They had Kane last year in the playoffs, and it just went sour. So you'd almost think, okay, going into this year, it could either go up or <laughs> go down. Yeah. It, it's gone up in a big way. And considering that Adam Fox has been out of the lineup for, I don't know, better part of a month now, um, it's really remarkable. So, you know, Alexi Lafreniere's looked really good. Uh, Panarin is Panarin. Yeah. Uh, I think he's on pace for 125 points right now. Wow. Um, so it, it's, it's a really good team in a really tough division, I still think. Yeah. And to me, the most amazing thing is Jonathan Quick has been Jeez. unstoppable. I think he's got a 930 save percentage. Like if you, I don't think he's lost in regulation yet. I, I think you're correct. Yeah. And like coming into the season, if you had said Jonathan Quick would be the better goaltender <laughs> between him and Igor Shosturkin, people have been like, ah, come on, you know, Quick's in his late 30s, he's got so many miles on him, but it almost feels like he's been renewed. Where I think last year he played maybe about 40 games because you know he did get traded. Yeah. Um, Probably goes to show like the system they play under. Possibly. Like you can throw a quick in there and you're like, yeah. yeah, we're fine. Yeah, we're good to go. Yeah, you're getting great contributions everywhere. And you're right. I mean, with Fox out, the defenses continue to step up. Mm -hmm. And uh, real quickly, since it is a hot topic issue, Jacob Truba mm. almost brains Trent Frederick of the Bruins in close with his stick. Uh, no suspension. Yeah. What do we think of that? I, I don't understand it, considering like players have missed two games for, I think there was a suspension the same week. Someone got a two-game suspension for tripping. Mm -hmm. um, was it the slew footer or whatever? I can't. Ryan remember. Hartman? Yeah, possibly. Um, it's not like Trupa hasn't got into this before. Like he's, Is he the biggest hitter in the NHL right now? I'd say he'd definitely be one of, if not the, yeah. The guy you don't want to cross through the middle if he's on the ice. Right, right. right. Like he... He throws hits to hurt. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that I'm saying he was hitting uh, Trent Frederick to hurt him with mm. the stick. I really think he was trying to kind of dislodge. I think Frederick had his hand on his stick, and he yeah. was really trying to free himself. That being said, Truba said he had to take better control of his stick. Um, but I am entirely shocked that he didn't get um, some sort of suspension. It was just a fine. It doesn't, I don't think it was a Marty... I don't think it was a Donald Brashear, Marty McSorley kind of incident where no. it was premeditated no. going after him at the same time. That could have been far worse than what we saw. Totally. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it was certainly accidental, but you do need to control your own stick. I would have liked to see like a one-game suspension just so the NHL could say, like, look, we take hits to the head seriously. Like, you know, it was a slash to the head, but it was still to yeah. the head. Uh, you know, just for them to say, we take this seriously you need to be responsible for your own actions, and we go from there. I think that would have been acceptable. Acceptable. Yeah. Instead, right. the legend of Jacob Truba continues to grow. Exactly. Okay, so we are now going to move on to some Upper Deck Series 1. We're going to open some more packs. Uh, <laughs> it's fun for us going through it. Well, this is my 401k, right? There you go. It's like we have our own TikTok. Except I don't know anything about TikTok. And I don't know anything about cards. Well, there you go. I do know about hockey, so hopefully we can... We'll balance out. 
as we were saying on earlier episodes, what we were looking for if we really want to cash in is the Matthew Nye's Young Guns because that is, along mm-hmm. with the Connor Bedard sort of secret card, those are like the big ones that all the collectors are looking for. Right, right. I got a Jet Greaves Young Gun. Interesting. So I got an Oliver Ekman Larson in Vancouver Canucks old school jersey. Ooh, that's nice. Best jerseys right now, right? In terms of I love those. I feel like Vancouver, not only with those alternates, but also with the special jerseys they do, like the Diwali Night one and stuff. So good. They are like undefeated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very. I've been very impressed. Uh, with all of Vancouver's specialty ones. I think they did like a Chinese New Year one last year with a rabbit. That was super hot as well. The Diwali one is so nice though. Yeah, like they... Got a rookie pers- retrospective, Nick Perbix. Oh, okay. A Minnesota high school alum right there. So this one, my card just fell apart, right? Oh no. I <laughs> know <laughs> if that's worth more. It's a Warren Fogel, probably not. Okay, so I got a Matthew Nyes, but it's not the Young Guns. It's debut dates. Dude, so we'll I have to... <laughs> save that one. We'll save that one. We'll ask Michael DeStefano, our Collectibles team site editor, if that does anything. Interesting. Jason Robertson, Superstar. That looks kind of fun. Nice. Yep. Nico Rantanen, Zubhito. David Juracek, but not a Young Gun. And while we open this, let's talk about our Young Gun of the Week. And uh, I'm going to go with Vincent Desarnay, the towering defenseman from the Edmonton Oilers. He's a stay-at-home guy. He's six foot seven. Fantastic reach, obviously. But he had a couple points last night. I got a Vincent Desarnay Young Guns card right here. The magic of live podcasting. So there we go. Speak of the devil. That is too much. Wow. So can I just read that? DeHarnay was selected in the seventh round of the 2016 NHL draft mm-hmm. by Edmonton and made his NHL debut for the Oilers on the road on January 11, 2023. That's, so when you're talking about a young gun, this is a guy that has really worked his way into the NHL. Indeed. Because we're talking the 2016 draft, yeah. and this is only his second season in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So... No, it's it's not always that linear path where get yeah. drafted, AHL, and then straight to the NHL or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, Desarnay was a big college guy, Providence College, if I'm not mistaken. Spent some time in the minors. You know, when you're that size, it does take some time to really, like, get control of your body at an elite level. And I do feel like if the Oilers are going to turn it around, it's obviously going to take everybody. But defensively, they need to be a lot better. And a player like Vincent Desarnay, because he has that wingspan, you know, he's got to be sort of one of the guys that they kind of bring up. And, uh, you know, if he can contribute more on the defensive end, I think that will really behoove the Oilers. I was talking to a scout about this, and it used to be that the big meat and potatoes defenseman you could find anywhere in the draft. Now it's kind of gone the other way where everyone's drafting the small mobile puck movers Mm -hmm. and the big stay-at-home defensemen are a little bit harder to find. Like they're they're almost kind of like we we jokingly call them dinosaurs because they're working their way out of the league but now they're almost as rare as just like finding a 
upper deck young gun card in your pack. And I think we're starting to see that shift in the draft where you get like Arizona taking a Maverick Lamaru. Right. You know, he's another kid that's six foot seven. We'll probably see him at the World Juniors for Canada this year. And ironically, the Coyotes even going high on Dmitry Simashev. Mm. You know, we were all shocked when he went sixth overall. But it's like, okay, but also he's like six foot five or something, and he can move on the back end. So it all kind of makes sense when it comes down to it. Logan, like, Logan Stanley. Yeah, it's like you can't teach size. That's no. the one thing, right? And, and if you're talking about a, a defenseman that is sort of that prototypical puck-moving defenseman, mm. who do you love to pair them with? Is the guy that's not going to cross the red line, right? <laughs> you yeah, know, totally. like okay, I got, I got the fort here. The safety blanket. Like Toronto's looking for a Nikita Zadorov or mm. a Chris, uh, yeah, Chris Tanev. Yeah, yeah, Chris Tanev. Right now, neither of those guys are going to be lugging the puck up and down the ice, going end to end, Bobby Orr style. Yeah. What they're going to do is just, you know, solidify your back end, and you know, if they get in trouble, they're going to go glassing out. There you go. I will say, though, it's, I, I love when Nikita Zadorov goes end-to-end because end, he does it kind of randomly, and it's almost like when <laughs> he, he does. Yeah, it's like when a defensive lineman, like, you know, intercepts the ball and is, like, chugging it <laughs> on the ice. I'm like, whatever happens, I'm going to be entertained. It, it rarely turns into a goal, but it, it always looks super fun because, again, Zadorov's like, six foot seven. Roman Polak was a similar kind of defenseman for the Leafs, and he did go end-to-end once. And I remember after the game, Randy Carlisle was like, we were just belly laughing the whole time <laughs> on the bench. Like, are you? can you believe this is actually happening? Right, right. I got a capo caco. Did you see him go into Ooh. the boards uh, the other night? That was pretty rough. Yeah, that did not look good. And yeah. it, another guy that I think, you know, Rangers fans and just NHL fans wear capo... Uh, Kako was drafted number two overall after Jack Hughes. We're all kind of waiting for him to kind of mm-hmm. emerge as that next young star. Totally. I really hope it's a speedy recovery. I, I don't know how bad that injury was, but mm. obviously when it awkwardly, legs don't bend that way or they shouldn't. Very true. Yeah. yeah. So that's right. cool. We got a Vincent Dehart. Yeah. There you go. All right. We're going to move on to the best now, our new segment. I'm in charge of the best now uh, for this week, I should say. And I'm going to go with... The best foods you have to get <laughs> when you're at a certain NHL city. Okay. I, I think a food court's going to be involved in this. because No, no, no. This is, this is super specific. So, okay. for example, to lead it off, if you go to Montreal, you got to get some smoked meat. you got to go to Schwartz's. you got to go to Schwartz's. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's people, there's, people have their favorite spots, but for me, it's Schwartz's. That's like the old school classic joint. Yeah. I have taken Swedish people there during the World <laughs> Juniors to be like, this is... You know what you gotta get. Um, so yeah, so Montreal, you gotta get the smoked meat, and then you know like Nashville, for example. Hot chicken. Hot chicken. The first time I went to Nashville, I went to there's a Hattie B's that's like right off Broadway. I went there last time yeah. during the draft, and it was very good. But the first time I went to one that was just a little outside the downtown core. I don't know if it was the original one or whatever. Mm. Um, but it was fantastic. The first time I had hot chicken, it was like, yes. They have a spice factor there where it's like hot, medium, whatever. And yep. The last one is slap your mama hot. Right. Yes. Because that's, that's spicy. That's super spicy. So I only go, I go like mid to medium because I'm not trying to like, you know, prove anything. I yeah. want some heat, but I don't want to be like bawling. No. Yeah, I don't want this to be like the hot ones chicken wing show. I want to enjoy at least on some level. But the great thing about when you get the hot chicken is they put the white bread 
underneath and it sops up all the grease and all the spice. And actually the last time when I was there for the draft, that bread was like maybe the hardest part to eat because it, it was so saturated, With but grease. it was so awesome. Yeah. Uh, next, I'm gonna go uh, St. Louis for some barbecue. Yeah. St. Louis, I, people talk about Kansas City barbecue, but I think they talk about St. Louis barbecue a lot too. St. Louis barbecue is outstanding. It is outstanding. We went to Pappy's Smokehouse, okay. which is probably like one of the places I would think. And uh, yeah, you go there, you get some ribs, but also burnt ends. Okay. That to me was the star of the show. That was the surprise star of the show. Which you, what is your side? I, I, like The meat's easy. Sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm collard greens for me. Mm. Well, as you know, I'm a, I am That's almost, what I'm wondering, because you don't eat veg. I'm, co- I'm almost completely carnivorous, <laughs> so I will go mac and cheese. Okay. That's a quality barbecue side. I thought you were going to say, I pay the upgrade to say, just give me another <laughs> meat <laughs> serving. More meat, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have gone to a restaurant before where it's like, not barbecue, but they've had your choice of two sides. Yeah. Like, you get two sides, but like, the only one I wanted was mashed potatoes. So I was just like, just give me double mashed potatoes. <laughs> so it's just humongous amount of mashed potatoes because I didn't so want wrong. like the green beans or whatever. Right. So yeah, that was my that was my out on that one. But yeah, burnt ends in particular in St. Louis was fantastic. And then I'm gonna go with one that's obvious, but I still think you have to do it, which is pizza in New York. Okay. And I've had pizza in Manhattan and Long Island. So I've had Rangers pizza and Islanders pizza. Both were fantastic. Uh, for New York, I think we went to Greenwich Village and we went to one of the famous original Rays. You know, like they all have different names that are all kind of the same, yeah. that all involve famous or original or Rays. So I don't even remember which one we were at, but it was um, incredible. And it's kind of fun to get that like real so New York City thin, experience. Thin slice kind thin of? Thin slice, okay. yeah, lots of cheese. And then better Long than Island. Better than Steve Aoki's pizza in the Vegas? Well, see, I didn't have that. You had that. I had the ramen dish at that food court, so, so I, can't, I can't say if Steve Aoki's pizza is good. <laughs> I know you're a fan. I'm a very authentic Aoki uh, pizza fan. <laughs> you're an Aoki pizza head, yes. as it would be. Uh, and then Long Island, I went to a place, um, I can't remember the name, it started with an F, my apologies, but it's near the Islanders practice facility. And... Uh, Islanders PR guy, Kimber Auerbach, one of my favorite PR guys, actually recommended it. So I'm like, all right, I wanted the local place. It was in like a strip mall, and it was awesome as well. Hmm. Uh, Not as thin. Uh, And I also noticed that as people came in, a lot of them were ordering corners there. They were big on the corner slice. I got in a debate over this over the weekend because we... I was at a function with a bunch of people, and two guys were fighting over the corner. I'm like, who, wow. who wants the corner? I want the middle slice. Don't, I don't want crust. These guys want a double crust? Evidently, some people are big on the corners. The exception for me, and this will be sort of like an honorable mention, mm-hmm. um, is like Detroit-style pizza, which I had when I was in Michigan the other week at Michigan State. Jets is like my favorite spot. They give you a pizza because it's square and it's thick. Yeah. They call it four corners. So all your pieces are corners. Yeah. But that one's a different style where the crust is definitely like a selling point because it's yeah. not the same kind of thing. It's almost like a Pizza Hut style. Yes, very much so. And it's delicious. Yeah. Anytime I have Michigan style pizza, I, it's the only meal where you say, do I, instead of saying, do I have enough? You end up saying, <laughs> no, this is too much. That's too much. Even four <laughs> slices. And I'm gonna finish off with my favorite, this is the classic, I tell people this all the time, if you go to Buffalo, you gotta go to Chef's, mm. which is the old school Italian place. 
a lot of the Sabres go there, and uh, I always get the meatball sandwich parmed, okay. which means that they cover it in mozzarella. You can't even see the sandwich. And it's so filling, it's massive, I've but been it's the chefs economical. With you, and I can't believe you said buffalo and you didn't say beef on weck. Have you not had a beef on weck in Buffalo? I like my beef on weck in Buffalo, and that is tradition. But for me, if you're going to go like the true, I don't know if I should say true Buffalo experience because you're right, beef on weck. But is chefs classic. is where like the away team and the home team will cater from chefs. Yeah. After the morning skate. Yeah, they have like famous sauce there that you can buy. But I always get the meatball sandwich parmed mm. and, and a Mr. Pib on the side. And I am, I've Mr. also taken Pib. Swedes there, and the Swedes also did not finish their food there because it was too massive for their Scandinavian bellies. But <laughs> well, for they're me, just healthy individuals. They are, very, they are much healthier than we are, to be fair. Uh, so those are my best road spots for places where you just have to get it there. Yeah. Yeah. So then my, my top five with an honorable mention. We're going to go to rapid fire now to wrap things up. Producer Connor, he's got the special rapid fire. Connor, what do you got for us? All right. I'm bringing it back. Not was he a ranger. Mm. Was he an NHLer? Okay. So I've pulled names from either the MLS oh boy. as a player right. or the NHL. All right. For the NHL players, they must have played at least 100 games. Oh, okay. All right. So All right. we're saying, was he a Ranger? Was no, no, he no. an NHLer? So we used to play a game called Was He a Ranger, where it's like you had to guess if a player, usually from the 90s, played for the Rangers, because a lot of like ex-Oilers did. Uh, so this is, was he an NHLer, or was he a soccer player? <laughs> soccer player. Yes, okay. because right. those are very easy names to come up with that sound... Like hockey players. Like hockey players. There you go. Right, so, the first one. Okay. Shane Long. Was he an NHLer? Shane Law. Long. Long. Shane Long. I'm going to say soccer. I'm going to say soccer as well. I've never heard of Shane Long. He is a soccer player. Plays for LAFC. That was easy. Boom. Boom. Come on. Make it harder. Next one. Let's go. John McCormack. Soccer. Or no, hockey. I'm going to say hockey. Ooh, this is tough because that sounds like an old school goon. Yeah. But I don't specifically remember him, so I'm going to say soccer. He was a hockey player. Uh, 311 games, mm. 74 points, played for Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago. How many pins? I do not have pins. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he did win a Stanley Cup with the Leafs in the 50 51 season. Oh, oh, so he's like old, old yes. school. Oh, okay. Yes. Fair enough. All right, good one. Next up. Brian Watson. Oh, that's a hockey player for sure. I say soccer. Yeah. Whipper Watson? Hockey. Yeah. Whipper Watson was a wrestler. <laughs> Apparently he was. Oh, but, <laughs> but he's also a hockey player. That's a new market. Whipper Watson, ah. uh, baseball diamond. There you go. Maybe this guy was named after, nicknamed after him. Okay, yeah. Maybe. Billy Whipper Watson. 877 games, 152 points, played for six NHL teams and a WHA team. Nice. Uh, and he never won a Stanley Cup. Dang. Next up, Nicholas Hasler. I'm going to say soccer. I'm going to go soccer on that one. He is soccer. Nice. Former Toronto FC player mm. from Liechtenstein. Interesting. Yes. Wow. Shout out to Liechtenstein. Shout out to Liechtenstein. <laughs> Final one, John Brenneman. Oh, I'm going to say soccer. That's, that so sounds very soccer-y yeah. to me. Brenneman. Brenneman. You are Brenneman both? with the cross. Incorrect. Uh. 152 games, 40 points, played for five NHL teams, 
Uh, he won a Stanley Cup in Toronto, sort of. He played the 41 games to get his name on the cup, mm-hmm. but he wasn't on the team when they won it. Uh, and what year was that? 66-67. Gotcha. The last one. The very last one. There you go. All right. Well, that was very good, Connor. That was uh, trickier than I expected, so well done. Plumbing the depths of uh, the hockey database there. That's all the time we got today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. We are sponsored by Upper Deck and BetMGM. I'm Ryan Kennedy. That's Michael Tracos. See you next time.